Open up your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew chapter 24 with everything that's going on today. Um, with, with our country standing at the very point of civil war, revolution, invasion, all these things that's going on, I think it, you know, the Spirit has really pushed upon me to tell you to be ready. Spiritually first, carnally second. Carnally meaning food, water, shelter, warmth, place, a way to keep yourself warm, uh, a way to feed yourself, a way to drink, and a way to protect yourself is very, very important in these days. But most of all, to place your faith in Jesus Christ because He's the only place of truth and not there. you'll find no propaganda in God. You'll find no rhetoric in God. You will find the truth. And everything that our world's going through right now has been predicted in the Scripture and has been predicted meticulously in the last day's generation. Now I'm going to do something before we get to reading. And I want to read to you something. I was able to get one of these, well, I got two of these books. Political Sermons of the American Founding Era. Okay? 1730 to 1805, sermons was recorded that was preached even before our country was founded, but was also preached to the American Congress. Okay? And to the colonial gatherings. I want to read to you some of the excerpts of this, okay? As I've been reading through this book, I want to, I want to go to this first sermon here, which is very interesting to walk back in time like this. This sermon was preached before His Excellency at the lector in Boston, before His Excellency Jonathan Belcher, Esquire, Captain General and Commander-in-Chief, August the 13th, 1730, by Benjamin Coleman. Imagine that. As I was reading through his sermon, it was apparent how far we have came from true preaching and from true patriotism in America. During the course of his sermon, and I want to read to you what he spoke to the gathering, to the assembly. In 1730, this is what he said. He said, Integrity, uprightness, faithfulness added to knowledge and wisdom makes men strong and beautiful pillars, whether in church or state, Every man is ready to pretend to a competency of wisdom and is ready to proclaim his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find, question mark, Proverbs 6. He is a rare and beauteous spectacle as Moses, Joshua, Samuel, Hezekiah, Nehemiah in their times and to the end of time. All that rule over men, listen to this being preached to these people. All that rule over men should be like these. Those that I just mentioned. Just men ruling in the fear of the Lord. And then they are to the world as the light and rain. 
without which the earth must perish. If there is no light and if there is no rain. As darkness vanishes before the light, so a king that sitteth upon the throne of judgment scattereth away all evil with his eyes. David, that pillar of Israel, came into the government with that noble purpose and resolution, Psalms chapter 3, and when I shall receive the congregation, David said, I will judge uprightly. So he fed them in the integrity of his heart, led them by the skillfulness, skillfulness of his hands, and God's righteousness and faithfulness, justice and judgment are the foundation of his everlasting government, his habitation and his throne. He said, a spirit of peace and love and meekness and humility, candor and gentleness, whereby persons are ready to unite their counsels and act in concert with one another, paying a just deference one to another and preferring one another in honor, glad to receive light from anyone and well pleased to reflect it from them, all pursuing one end as many pillars in a great house stand quietly near to one another and all help to bear it up. I want to reiterate what he just said because I think you might have missed it. He said this, that these people that he's preaching to in this assembly, he said this to them, a spirit of peace and love, this is what should be among them, should be in our Congress today, meekness and humility, candor and gentleness, Whereby persons are ready to unite their counsels. You're ready to unite each other in what you think. And act in concert with one another. And act together. Having all that stuff that I just said. The peace, the joy, the love, the candor, the gentleness. Paying a just deference one to another. And preferring one another in honor. Preferring someone else over you. Glad to receive light from anyone. That is, if Ted Cruz is able to tell me something that enlightens me, I'm, I'm not so, so prideful that I won't listen to it because I'm a Democrat and not a Republican, that I'm willing to have and have and receive that light. And well... And well pleased to reflect it from them that means if you come up with a good idea i will take that idea and reflect that good idea because we're all acting in concert all pursuing one end that's our problem here okay as many pillars pillars are you know you've seen houses with big pillars they're the support beams that hold a house up right that hold a monstrous porch up or a building up, right? He said our Congress, that Congress back then, should all be pillars standing together. Many pillars, it says, well, please reflect it from them, all pursuing one end, as many pillars in a great house stand quietly near to one another. And all help to bear it up. This spirit of power and love and of a sound mind render men strong and beautiful pillars of the earth. Oh, that I could preach this sermon to our Congress today. Oh, 
that they would let a man of God come and preach today that wouldn't say a woman like some fool. But he goes on to say, but if the peace of God rule not in men's hearts, if their passions shake them and they clash with one another, the house totters, the high arches above cleave asunder, and the roof falls in, as when Samson bowed the pillars of Dagon's house and buried the lewd assembly in one vast ruin. What a sermon. He goes on to say, Government was not in the original of it assumed or usurped by any one man. For instance, not by Lamech before the flood, nor by Nimrod after it. Indeed, the spirit of tyranny and the lust of dominion seemed to have began in them, but order and rule was before them. He goes on to say this. It is one evident mark of the Romish imposture, Romish being Roman, of the Roman imposture, and of the spirit of Antichrist. Now this was preached to the government. That it has invaded and usurped upon and subverted the authority of kings and princes. Now remember, this was back even before the revolution. Forty years before the revolution took place. It says... But the spirit of Antichrist that has invaded and usurped upon and subverted the authority of kings and princes, governments and states over their subjects. Listen to this. The Pope's claim of supremacy transfers the allegiance of subjects to a foreign power and absolves them from their oaths. This alone is a sufficient mark of the beast and of the man of sin. What confusion and vexation has the world suffered from this insolent and monstrous doctrine? And how strange is it that so many kingdoms and nations of Europe should so long wander after it to their infinite misrule and distraction. But the word and dreadful judgment of God must be fulfilled on a wicked world preached in 1730 in Boston. Can't wait to read the rest of this book. I tell you that the same sin we've been warned of has existed since our founding. This same thing has been warned to the American government, even by men of God, even back in 1730 in Boston. You heard his words. And Jesus tells us, the Scripture tells us, that there is no house that's divided against itself that can stand. And then it goes on to say, if you rightly divide the word, that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. He, sh he should think not that he would ever receive anything of God because he's double-minded. In other words, he has no foundation that he clings to. I'm going to tell you something, folks. As a Christian person, you have to be principled. 
A person that has principles makes and stands for those principles, not considering and not being wavered by the consequence of believing and standing in those principles. That's why so many men and women of God who was martyred before us were martyred, in fact, were thrown in the Colosseums of Rome, were butchered and drugged through streets and beaten and bludgeoned of all ages. It is why our ancient ancestors of our faith, the, the apostles and even Jesus Christ and the first martyr Stephen, was killed because they had principles. A person that has true principles has a foundation in which they believe that they will not remove. They will suffer consequences for the principles that they stand for. Are you ready to do that? I ask you today in 2021. Because it's coming to that. Where your principles might cause a bad consequence for you. I tell you, this is what the Bible means when it says the wheat shall be separated from the chaff. When Jesus cleanses his threshing floor, I'm telling you, brother, the weeds will leave. And the only true believers that have principles will stand and will make it to the kingdom of heaven. Can I get an amen on that? Because that is absolute Bible. The threshing floor, the, the cleansing of the wheat from the chaff. When, you, when the disciples was going through the wheat fields, the old King James Version says the corn fields, well, there was no such thing as corn back then, hadn't been discovered yet. When they were going through the wheat fields, they would grab the wheat heads off of the stalks there and they would grab them in their hands and they would go like this and they go, and they blow the chaff off and then eat the wheat. It's the separation of what is good from what is not good. And that is exactly what's going to happen. Principled people will make their way through persecution. Principled people will stand for Jesus Christ. Principled people that are truly born again will give their life for their faith. And not blink an eye. That's who you are. That's who your Savior is. That's who God is. That's what God expects of you to stand unmovable. That's what the Scripture says. Being your foundation is Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone from, from which comes all truth. Not some truth, all truth. He is your Maker, your God, your Savior, in which you have to stand in this evil day. And the Bible says when you've done everything that you can do to stand, stand anyway. Because this is what's coming. Perilous times are absolutely here. In Matthew chapter 24, I want to I want to read to you some stuff, and then we're going to switch over here in just a minute, and I'm going to try in a hurry. In Matthew 24, Jesus says this in verse 29. I'm sorry, 39. I'm going to read 36 through 39. But he tells this, he says, But of the day and hour no one knows, not the angels of heaven, nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. As it is written, it will be it was as it was in the days of Noah. The days of Noah was filled with violence. It was a day of giants in the land, a contamination of the earth where men's hearts were continuously, continuously evil. 
And, the, and, and God destroyed the land. Destroyed, the, destroyed everything, living thing on the earth. Except for Noah and his family. They were above the destruction. Just as you and I will be above the destruction. They were in a boat. A form of ark of safety in which you and I will be in with Christ Jesus. For the Bible says that the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then those of us that will remain shall be caught up in the air after them forever to be with the Lord. The Bible says Jesus Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. The trump of God. Interesting that it says the trump of God. Who knows? But he says, so it will be coming in the so it will be in the day of the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, listen, people were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in, bar- in giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered into the ark. And this is the part I want to get to in verse thirty nine. It says, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. In the NLT, it says that they didn't understand what was going on around them and they didn't see it. It's remarkable right now the people that are not seeing what is going on. There is like a veil that's over these people's eyes, an evil veil that Satan has cast upon them to where they cannot see. Their heart feels no urgency. They don't see what's going on as being epic spiritually. If you're saved, and boy, you can, you can feel what's going on. The Lord's speaking. He's like saying, hey, get ready down there. I think all Christian people should be, right now their antennas should be up. Your lamps need to be trimmed and burning bright. Don't be like one of the foolish virgins who, was, who went away at the last minute and, and found everybody else was taken and you weren't. They knew nothing about what would happen. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken. The other one left. They were both in the same place, carnally speaking, on the earth. But they weren't both in the same place spiritually where they should have been. They were in two different places spiritually. One was waiting on the Lord and one wasn't. One had listened to the preacher and one didn't. One was truly saved and one thought they were saved and wasn't. But they were both together on the earth, but one was taken and one was left. They were in two kind of different places spiritually. Jesus says, therefore, keep watch because you know not what day nor hour your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known what time the night, or what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect Him. People that's not expecting Jesus Christ, you would be absolutely crazy to think to to leave yourself in a place. Of not expecting Jesus Christ. You know why? You say, well, I don't know that he, when He's going to come. Well, you don't know when you're going to die. You need to be expecting to meet Him every moment of your life. Because when you step out these doors, it could be over for you. There, a wind might blow and blow a limb out of the tree and hit you on the head and you're dead and there you are. 
No matter if you're ready for the rapture, no matter if you're ready, you need to be ready for death. You need to be ready. And not only what's going on in the world, the world is pointing it to, to it, to, to, to this event. Jesus says, he says, but we can know the signs of the times and the signs of the times tell us of something that's coming. I want to exposit for you a little bit out of the book. And you can turn with me there if you will. To the book of, oops, I'm, I went past it, Timothy. Go with me back to 2 Timothy, if you would. Chapter 3. I'm going to do some extensive reading and I'm going to expose it a little bit for you. Oh boy. Wow, this is uh Okay, hold on just a minute. There is so much I feel like I got so much to tell you in so little time. I want to exposit a little bit out of three. I'm probably going to do the whole daggone chapter, but I'm just going to do. I'm going to try to bring this, pick this for you as best I can without getting way in the weeds. But he says this to Timothy. Timothy was a very young pastor. Paul was about to be executed when he told him this. Paul was about ready to get his head cut off. And Paul knew that the future of the church was in his hands to pass on to Timothy. And he's trying to divulge all this information to Timothy, who was a very young and timid man and did not like confrontation, but he knew confrontation was going to be Timothy's to handle. And he had to entrust somebody with all this information. Paul said to Timothy, said, Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful and proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power have nothing to do with such. The denying of the power is, I believe, the denying of the born again experience that you can achieve godliness without being saved. The power of the gospel is in the born again experience when God forgives you of all of your sins and, and miraculously comes into your heart and transforms you into a new creature in Christ, which transforms your life. That's the greatest miracle of any miracle mentioned in the Bible. I don't care if it's making the earth stand still. The greatest miracle is someone being saved and born again. That's the greatest miracle of all. If you think you can achieve godliness through your acts of religion, you're crazy, you're out of your mind, you're not godly, and you will develop a religion that eventually will kill you and all of humanity that follows you. And that's exactly what's going on today. 
Paul tells Timothy to stay away from those people like that. They are the kind, he says, who worm their ways into homes and gain control over gullible women. Now this is a, this is a talk to, to, to the women were not actively involved in the church as they are today. So this is talking about people that don't really know a lot about what's going on. They'll creep into your house and they'll take control of the way you think. You have to understand, this is where you've got to understand the customs and mannerisms of that day in order for you to be able to understand what he just said. Because you can't understand their culture using your culture to try to get it. You've got to get into their culture and see what he was talking about so that you can gain understanding. This is a primary example of that. He says, who are loaded down with the sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil, evil desires. Listen to this. Always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. End time people will be smart people, but they'll never be able to, to seemingly get a hold of truth. What's the truth? Jesus Christ says, I am the truth, the life and the way. No one comes unto the Father except through me. They can never come to the truth of faith in Christ alone. They're so smart, they got it all worked out. He goes on to say, he talks about just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who as far as faith is concerned are rejected, but they will not get very far as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You know, interesting to talk about, you know, what... Going back a step uh, in the days of Noah, it also talks about in the days of Lot in, in another gospel, in the days of Lot. What this is showing us is in Lot, in Lot's day, Lot was a, a considered a righteous man who was living in a wretched world. He was in Sodom and Gomorrah, but he made the choice to be there. But God went ahead at the, 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 the begging of Abraham to go in and save Lot. This is exactly symbolic of the case of Jesus Christ, who the Bible says pleads with God and is our intercessor right now with us, with God. He intercedes, the Bible says, for the saints. And here we are, the church is, is very much, much so like Lot right now. Because if you look over in the book of Revelations, there is the Laodicean church, which has very little power and is actually very wicked. And Lot, who kind of represents our church age, is very, our church age is very much like Lot. We're living amongst this terrible uh, 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 sexual uh, misconduct, uh, uh, this, this, this vast misconduct that's going on in the world. We're, we're living in a place of extreme wickedness that, that, that is so terribly bad that when the angels came in uh, to rescue Lot, from, uh, from, from destruction, the angels, the men of the town gathered together and wanted to rape the angels. And Lot was so twisted in his thinking that he offered his daughters to these monsters to rape them. Well, well that's not a good decision either. And you can tell that his decision making had been affected by the desensitization of where he lived. He was surrounded by all this mass evil and it began to inundate itself even into Lot's hearts but God saved him 
Just like God will save us, this weakling church that we live in today, where people are so limp-wristed, so weak-kneed, that they're ordaining homosexuals, that they're, that, that they're okaying uh, abortions, that they're okaying every kind of wicked thing, and bringing it in as a doctrine of the church, God forbid this evil, false doctrine. There's very few strong churches out there that are willing to stand for Jesus Christ and the truth of the Gospel. But God's going to come and get us. But even after God delivered Lot from Sodom, Sodom never left Lot. And his daughters who, who, who was rescued with Lot only lived to get him drunk so that they could have sex with him and gave birth to children which eventually became... One of the ites, I believe it was the Amalekites or Jebusites, which was an evil people. You can see how living amongst evil has a detrimental effect to a person. The Bible says evil communications corrupts good manners. But the Bible also says iron sharpens iron. And then the Bible says pull yourself out from amongst them, my people. Put yourself around godly people so your godliness can be sharpened and you can grow in Christianity. Don't grow as a satanic evangelist because that's what the world is. It puts forth the devil's agenda and demands you live by it. He tells Timothy, he says, you know my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, love, endurance through persecutions and suffering and what kinds of things happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. That's important for you to hear. The Lord will rescue you from it all. He will be with you. You might have to endure some hardship, but you're not going through it alone. If you go through this alone with no spiritual help, look in the mirror, mirror because that's, that's who you need to blame. You. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters... I'm sorry, my phone keeps blowing up. While evil, evil doers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived... But as for you, continue what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know from, uh, those from who you have learned it and, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. He says all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. When you go into this evil world, Timothy, you can use the Word of God which was breathed by God to rebuke people who are wrong and you need to stand for these principles no matter what the consequence. So get over your timidness, Timothy. And suck it up, buttercup. Because you're going to go through some stuff. Everyone who lives godly. There's a reason why he was telling Timothy this. Because he was scared of persecution. He was a timid man. And I'm going to quit with this. In the presence of God and Jesus Christ. Now I could break this down ten ways from Sunday for y'all. But I've already 31 minutes been preaching. And people won't listen to a 30 minute sermon out there. It's a shame. 
in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead in view of this of his appearing in his kingdom. I give you this charge, Timothy, and I'm telling you all this and this is my charge. And I'm putting my name in as Timothy here because to every preacher out there who is really, truly God called and not called of themselves, this charge is given to you. Preach the word. Don't preach opinion. Don't preach what you think. If you can't back up with the scripture, what you're going to say, keep your mouth shut. Because your opinion don't mean jack squat. Preach the word. Preach the Word. It's what's going to save people, not you. Not your nice smile that you have or your, your, it factor, your it factor on TV or your voice that you have for radio. No, that is not it. Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. What that means is when you, when you least expect it, you need to be, be able to regurgitate the Word to someone. Not what you think, but what the Word says so that you can get them saved and God can deliver them and the power of the Word can be planted in their heart and life which will grow within them and save them and change the world. Preach the Word. If you don't know the word, that's your fault. You're lazy and you're not reading. You've got everything else going on in your life. You need to stop it. Read your Bible. Get familiar with what it says so that it will save you in season when you're ready to talk about it and even when you're not. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. Correct and rebuke. Rebuking means, hey, 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 you're jacked up. That is not correct. Stop that. I'm going to tell you, I've done that from the pulpit. You need to correct people. No, that's not correct. This is what that means. But then you also need to encourage people. If you, if you understand the truth and preach the truth, this is what will come of that. He said, with great patience and careful instruction. Careful instruction. Be careful how you handle people. Be careful how you handle the Word. Be careful in everything you do because you are promoting God's agenda for the plan of the world to save people from eternal damnation. Do you understand, folks? Nothing you do in life is more important than that. Nothing can take the place of somebody being delivered from eternal judgment in a flame-filled hell that will burn forever and ever and ever and ever and ever with no end, where you will feel the punishment and consequence of the flame because you rejected Jesus Christ. That could be your children, that could be your spouse, that could be your grandchildren, and you're going to sit idly by and let that happen? Because you're afraid of the consequence you might face with them? Get over it. Tell them. Because better for you to get a little backlash than for them to burn forever. Ten million years from now, they will have only just begun. And when they look at you in heaven, they're going to say, Why? 
You knew of this place and you never said a word. Why? Beneath your feet right now, church, there is a horde of burning souls that would give anything for, to take your place for 30 seconds to give their life to Jesus Christ and change the place where they're at. And I will tell you, you got family there. It's time for the church. You got to wake up. You got to wake up. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll go get and gather preachers around them, a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. An evangelist is someone who's always reaching for souls. The work of an evangelist is somebody who's always preaching Jesus Christ to get someone saved. In the supermarket. At the cash register. At your home. When people come over. When you go to pay your bills. When you go to work. Discharge all the duties of your ministry.